Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Here we discuss all things Black Hereford. Join me for in-depth conversations and insightful interviews relevant to your Black Hereford operation. I've got a few sale reports for you before we jump in here today. So Triple C had their sale last month. Their bulls averaged $3,187 and the females averaged just over $3,200. Then JM Cattle Company and Blazer had their female sale just last week and those females averaged just shy of $3,000. If you've got a sale report you want to get featured on here, let me know and I'd be happy to share it. Gerald Callahan, CEO of Express Ranches, sat down with me to talk about a topic that I think has been occurring under the surface in our breed for some time, performance or production cattle versus show cattle. A lot of people know that I have raised concerns about the gap between the two for some time. To be fair, I haven't spent much time in a show ring. My kids have dabbled and love their county fair but it's just never been the focus of our operation. But that doesn't mean that I don't see the benefits to the show ring. It's often our face to the wider non-ag world and can do a ton to promote and grow a small breed like ours. I'm glad that there are people out there pushing Black Herefords into the ring and finding success with them at local and national levels. I know that matters. But I also worry about the gap between those cattle and the ones that commercial cattlemen need to run their operations. And that's why I was so excited that Mr. Callahan was willing to talk to me. Express Ranches is one of those operations that has found tremendous success doing both. And we had a great conversation talking about exactly those issues. I'm really hopeful that this interview will lead to some wider discussions about potential ways to improve what we, as Black Hereford breeders, are doing in the ring, And I'm open to hearing from the show jocks what I, as a more production-based breeder, can do better to support you guys. Hey, everyone. I am here with Gerald Callahan of Express Ranches, and we're going to have a great conversation. I'm going to give him a minute to introduce himself, and then we will dive in. Yes, I'm Gerald Callahan. Currently, I'm president of Express Ranches. I guess this is my 26th or 27th year here. Uh, prior to that, um, I was the exec at the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association. And prior to that, uh, I was an assistant professor of animal science at Oklahoma State, where I coached the judging teams and was in charge of the purebred units at Oklahoma State. Uh, I've been asked today to discuss um, how the show ring and and performance cattle, how that all ties together. And I think one of the somewhat misnomers is, is that show cattle are also performance cattle, in my opinion, because if they don't have a, a certain degree of uh, performance, they're not competitive in the show ring. And so I think uh, one of the labels that sometimes gets associated with show cattle is, is that they're, um, uh, they're not performance cattle, but they too 
have to excel in most performance areas to be competitive uh, at the show level. The other thing is, is we, one of the current trends is to talk about in all the breeds, the convenience traits. And of course, the convenience traits, a lot of people uh, talk about uh, disposition. Uh, they talk about feet and legs, structure. Some of the things that most expected progeny differences don't measure. And show cattle um, uh, certainly have to be good in terms of their soundness, their feet, their legs. They have to be, of course, pretty good in terms of docility and disposition. or They're not very easy or very preferred in terms of showing them. So I think they, too, show cattle, uh, a lot of those really excel in the so-called convenience traits as well as the individual performance traits. I think there is somewhat of a disconnect um, uh, between the show ring and and performance cattle with regard to uh, some people think that if they're show cattle uh, where we try to really maximize their performance from a pretty early age, is that they're not as functional. Um, and I think some of that has merit because oftentimes we're showing younger cattle and we don't really get the chance to see them in production in terms of udders, in terms of uh, getting bred on time and Kevin on a 365-day interval. And so I think that is something that uh, the people with show cattle uh, need to continually monitor and work on that they're flushing and using donor cows that that excel in those traits. And sometimes I would say we've been amiss in that. I'm but curious, do, do, do you see that gap over the last few years? You know, you've been doing this for a hot minute. You know, it's been a while. Do you yep. see that gap widening or kind of coming closer together between the two worlds? I actually think it's close together. When it got really wide, and I haven't been doing this a long time, uh, when there was an era in the 80s um, when actually um, the show ring and performance cattle got really, really far apart, and hip height was a driver in value in the in the purebred industry and in show cattle. And there was two types symposiums that had a major effect of, of bringing it back. There was uh, both of those were held at, o- held at OSU. The first was the National Steer Symposium held in 1981 or 1982, because the previous year at the American Royal, the Grand Steer was 61 inches tall at the hip and reserve was 61 and a half. And then the National Beef Cattle Congress in 1987 that uh, I co-chaired with Dr. Bob Kropp, uh, where Harlan Ritchie was the moderator, those two events had a uh, had an effect in terms of bringing the show ring closer to the performance world. And in the 80s, we got way out of line. In fact, the, the show cattle uh, were so selected on frame size that there became a big disconnect to the rank and file in the commercial and in the purebred industry. I think they've gotten closer, and most of the breeds, uh, Hereford, Angus, uh, actually use expected or supply the judge with ex- expected progeny difference, EPDs, in a lot, not all, but a lot of their major shows. And so I do think that there is a... a effort on the part of most judges and most people to get show cattle more in line with what the demand of the commercial industry is 
Is there exceptions? Yes. Could it be closer still yet? Yes, I think it could be. But uh, I, I do think we're more in line now than we have often been in in my history in the cattle business. And I think that's a positive for everybody involved. I have to remind myself sometimes that where I see the most hope for that is in the registered shows and the breeding shows. You know, I think there's still market steers are still an interesting show to watch. And I think the gap is probably wider there, but that's really interesting that you mentioned that there's some Angus and Hereford shows that supply the EPDs to the judges. I had not ever heard that. And that is, that's kind of a cool idea. I need to wrap my head around that for a minute. Yeah. And, and most of like, like at the Cattlemen's Congress, I judged the Angus show this past year and you're given the EPDs on the heifers and the bulls. Um, and I think uh, oh, the National Junior Show, Judge Herford Show, judged that a couple summers ago, and we had the EPDs on the heifers there. There's a few blanks. There's a few NAs. But for the most part, you have a pretty complete set of EPDs. And I do think genomics. Uh, most uh, cattle in those breeds now, um, a high percentage of cattle have uh, – HD 50K, some form of of, of uh, genotypes ran on DNA uh, from some one of the sources of that. And so those are incorporated into the EPDs. And so, you know, the first the first big show that I judged uh, was one of the first shows, the National Polderford Show in Jackson, Mississippi, I believe. In 1989, I believe, uh, was one of the first shows, three-man system, whereby EPDs were used in the placing of all the cattle, several hundred head there. It was very, very revolutionary at the time. But one of the real challenges at that period of time on a lot of the young cattle, uh, they were a lot of NAs that they didn't have EPDs uh, for all of the cattle. So it made it really tough to place the classes when a portion of those had EPDs and a portion of those did not. Uh, and so the pole Hereford breed, uh, when they were separate, when there was a pole Hereford and a Hereford breed, was one of the first to incorporate that into their national shows. But now most of the breeds uh, supply the judges in those two breeds with EPDs and they are being incorporated into the selection. And then on Angus, you have the PGS shows, which really emphasize the performance. They're placed on paper, then they're placed on foot, and they try to incorporate uh, a consensus placing between the two. That's catching on and gathering some steam, which I think all those kinds of things will get the show ring and performance cattle closer together. Yeah, absolutely. So in what ways do you see that the events of the show ring help the more production performance side of the industry? You know, I think shows serve a lot of purposes. I think it it helps get young people involved, the next generation of, of producers. I also think it's a good gathering place because in combination with a lot of the large shows, you also have sales. And I think when you bring that many people together, probably in a lot of ways, the least important thing that happens is how the cattle actually get placed. The communication, 
in the stall, the communication, watching the show, the one-on-one breeder-to-breeder talking about pedigrees, talking about what lines of cattle are working and what lines of cattle maybe aren't working quite as well. I think that gathering place for people to discuss, because we get pretty isolated in production. We can get so wrapped up in our own individual herd, our own individual day-to-day operation, that sometimes we do not have a good gathering place uh, to to transmit production ideas, to talk about the cattle, to talk about phenotype, to talk about EPDs. And so I think shows go a long ways in furnishing that that gathering spot, uh, that watering hole where everybody can converse and, and exchange ideas, exchange information. And I also think that a lot of the larger shows have the sales associated with them where that actually people get not only an opportunity to sell their cattle, but they also get an opportunity to add genetics to the herd. And I think that's that's real important as well. So then on the opposite side of that, do you see any challenges that the two sides kind of present to each other? Is there anything that the show world is kind of doing wrong or that the production world is doing wrong that makes it harder? Well, I think the show world has got some challenges uh, to be competitive. Oftentimes the show world, it helps if you have a great haircut (laughs) and, um, you know, hair in the summertime in most United States is a negative. In fact, uh, the Angus breed, for example, has an EPD for hair shedding because if you run cattle on uh, particularly fescue country in the southeastern part of the United States, eastern, southeastern part of the United States, you want those cattle that in the spring and summer slick off, stay slick, and um uh, and it aids in rebreeding. It aids in production. Uh, whereas in the show world, uh, hair is a huge advantage. And so I think there's one place that it's really antagonistic. The other thing that's, uh, that's, that is, um, you know, probably not the nicest thing to say uh, you've got in the show ring, uh, you know, the whole ethical question always comes to light, whether the cattle are aged properly. Um, and that's a big problem. And at this point, genomics can't sort them out on age. Uh, we really, it's hard to police. Um, and so the judges, you know, hopefully you hire judges that, are familiar enough that they know when one is sized appropriately for its age. And and when it looks like it's youthful enough to be in a young class. And so there's an antagonism there that um, that we've battled for many, many years is the properly aging of cattle. Many years ago, many, many years ago in the 70s, we actually uh, the breeds actually hired somebody to come in and mouth the cow to make sure that they were aged appropriately. It's something that's been going on for many, many years. It's not new, but it's something that's getting a lot of discussion around the show ring right now. And I think there is uh, a lot of concern about that. And uh, I think that as cattle, as we moderate cattle, maybe a little bit in terms of size, some of that will go away as well. 
I do think that the show ring has done a really good job in getting cattle that are bigger bodied, easier fleshing, uh, and selecting females that are more appropriate for production with more capacity, more width to them. And so I think that's been a, a big improvement. And I think the kinds that you select on performance in the show ring are getting closer. There's still challenges, the hair, uh, you know, the, the really extreme, beautiful fronted cattle. Uh, uh, everybody likes to look at them, uh, but how do you liken that to uh, better production? Eh, it's kind of hard in my opinion. And so there's probably an overemphasis on, in my opinion, on a long skinny neck, and there's probably an overemphasis on really good hair. But um, other than that, I think they're pretty, they're getting pretty close. I have seen some improvements in frame size on our commercial operation. We've always been a little concerned about calving ease. You know, you look at some of those, especially 10 years ago that were coming out and it's was, there's no way without doing mass C-sections that we could be breeding something like that. And I think there's been a lot of improvement in that in just the last few years. And that's been exciting to see. Mm -hmm. No, I think that when the judges are supplied, you know, the birth EPDs, uh, it it really puts some pressure on them to not use bulls or, you know, depending on the breed, but you know, you you don't see many Angus bulls that are in the fives winning anymore. And in the Hereford breed, you don't see many in the sixes and sevens winning anymore. And so there, there is uh, it's had an effect. So, To me, Express Ranches is one of those operations that has always done a great job of keeping a footing in kind of both worlds that really exemplifies the ability to be production and show. Is there anything special or unique that you think you guys have done to accomplish that or advice that you would give somebody who's trying to really grow their operation, but make sure that they are firm footed with both production and show? You know, I don't know if there's anything specific that we've really done. Uh, Bob Funk, who owns Express, he he likes to show as well. And he thinks that showing, um, it's important to show. And I guess it's not much different. You know, a, a show ring is a little bit like a trade show in that you take your wares out for the public to uh, appreciate or condemn or whatever they want to do. I think that the emphasis, uh, we've always had an emphasis here on phenotype on on the show and on the performance cattle, because to me, uh, you know, 90 plus percent of the cattle sometime in their life in the U.S. is still bought and sold, bought and sold in part on their phenotypic evaluation, whether you're selling feeder cattle on Superior uh, whether you're selling cattle online, whether you run them through the auction ring, whether you run them through the local sale barn, visual appraisal still has an impact on the economics of what cattle bring. And I personally believe strongly that we can have cattle that have really tremendous phenotype and tremendous EPDs and dollar indexes. I think it's incumbent on us as breeders to select those cattle that do fit the cattle buyer's eye as well as have the genotype to excel on a performance standpoint, whether it's in the cow herd, 
Kevin Ease, Growth, and the Carcass Traits. Now, some of those, uh, admittedly, aren't always, uh, they can be a little antagonistic. But as you look at what we've done, who would have thought 30 years ago, I wouldn't have, 30 years ago that we could make this much Kevinese in the breeds and we would select bulls that have double-digit Kevinese in the Angus breed and negative birth EPDs and have yearling weight EPDs of 140 or 150. And so even though those are antagonistic through selection and through identification and now with genomics, we can identify those cattle that can be born very light, very easily, and still grow really, really fast and perform really, really well. It can be done. I mean, it's a constant challenge. And one of the beautiful parts of this business and what I always stay excited about is that it's a challenge each and every year to make them better. And the goal is to improve them. And sometimes, you know, we'll use a bull that that didn't do what we thought he would do. And you have to admit that you're wrong. Uh, He was a mistake and you have to move on. But I think that what I get excited about each and every year is seeing if we can push the limit on making them better, uh, improving this, improving that. And I think we can have cattle that are born light, that grow fast, that excel on the rail, and are structurally sound and have longevity. And we're continuing to strive to do that because if we can make our commercial clientele profit, profitable, uh, if we can give them a product that helps them make more money, then we in turn benefit because we'll have uh, a good customer base. So when you guys are selecting for some of those upcoming breedings, thinking about what you're going to be doing the next year, are you thinking just as one big picture or do you have two different tracks in your mind about, well, these ones I think are going to do really well in the show ring. And then over here, these are the ones our commercial guys are going to be interested in, or is it all just kind of one big thing? And then you see no, after they're we, born. No, good, really good question. And, and, and candidly, what we do is we identify those that, that we think uh, have a chance to excel phenotypically for the show ring. And we try to maximize that on those cattle. Uh, we try to, when we buy, when we go out and we buy a lot of cattle too, when we go out and buy an animal, we try to have a plan in mind. It doesn't always work. Well, this cow here, she's one that we want to flush because we think she'll make tremendous replacement females and tremendous bulls for the commercial industry. This cow here has got such an elite set of EPDs that we're going to double down on her and we're going to make her to try to raise the next great donors and the next great herd sires. This cow here really excels and she's tremendous in terms of phenotype. And so we're going to make her to bulls that we think are going to be complimentary, but excel in, in, in phenotype. So we have three or four cow families that we really emphasize on the phenotype side Then we have the bulk of the cow herd that we breed to just make the best commercial bulls we can. And then we have uh, certain individuals that have got the EPD profile and the performance 
that we try to raise, if you will, the next generation of superior performance genetics. So we actually try to identify them uh, and manage them. They're getting managed somewhat the same, but they get mated differently depending on the outcome that we're looking for, which isn't always successful, but that's what we try to do. So there's been some concerns raised in the last, oh, probably two years or so I've been hearing it. Technology has jumped forward so much, especially with ET and the success rates, you know, climbing with ET. Do you have any thoughts on the idea that sometimes we're winding up with, you know, mass progeny out of nowhere on unproven cows? You know, when you can take a bull and wind up with hundreds of calves out of him before you really know what he can do. Yeah, that's a concern. You know, if you look at the Holstein model, you know, they're, they're in vitroing six, seven month old heifer calves and they're getting semen out of really, really young bulls. And they're doing that because they're basically single trait selecting for superior milk production pounds. I have a concern that we're going to replicate that, duplicate that, in the in the beef industry when we have a totally different production model than they do um, and where we're trying to get an animal that fits a lot of different environments and convert roughage out on rough rangeland into beef and so yes i have a concern and we have dabbled from time to time with flushing virgin heifers we did it first probably 15, 20 years ago. Uh, I didn't like the results. We did it for two or three years. We just do a handful. We quit. We did it again uh, last year a little bit. Uh, I, I've got some heartburn out of that. What I really like to do is flush three- and four-year-old cows after we've got a calf or two out of them. We can see what their udders are like. We can see how they hold up out on grass. Uh, but everybody is trying to roll these generations so fast that uh, I think there is a downside. There is some danger, as you alluded to, in that we're reproducing a lot of cattle when maybe the female has never had a calf uh, and the bull has never sired the first set of progeny. And uh, I think we have to be vigilant. And we have to be careful on that. And yes, uh, uh, genomics will show us that it's comparable on a young bull to having from 10 to 20 kids on, depending on the specific trait. But I do think that we're going to have to really be careful or we will end up with a lot of cattle that excel in terms of their projections, but may have some flaws uh, that we don't want. Well, you know, it just makes one tiny mistake all of a sudden a much bigger, bigger yeah, mistake. Yeah, that's it, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I like to end every interview by asking my guest, what is one thing they would change about Black Herefords? I know you guys have a tiny bit of experience with them, so I am really excited to hear your thoughts. You know, I think it's like anything. If, if, you, take, uh, if you take Black Herefords, you need to encourage the people to use the best of the breeds genetically they can to create those. And they're going to be no better long-term than they 
than the core that you started with. And so I think in any model, um, we've seen it oftentimes in anything that was being bred up that sometimes people didn't select out of the top of their herd uh, to create a black Hereford or create a Simmental or a Maine or whatever. Sometimes it came out of a, a lesser set of cows. And I, I think that's the that's the challenge for anything is to make sure that the Angus and the Hereford that are going into black Herefords are superior. And I think that's the biggest challenge uh, and make sure that they're not, that, that they're not the, the bottom end of one's herd, but middle and up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it makes sense in a small breed that that's going to be a, a challenge for a long time. Yeah. You know, as we grow in the genetic diversity increases. Yeah. Yeah. You got to get the core genetics right to keep the breed going and on an upward path. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that you took time out of your day to do this. Thank you. Thank you. You bet. Appreciate it. This episode was sponsored by HI slash cattle company. We're currently offering semen on the homozygous black Joe Gangster 0535. If you haven't checked that bull out, he's definitely worth a gander. He's got awesome carcass quality and growth and boasts three supreme dams in his pedigree. You can check out HI slash cattle on Facebook or the website HISLASHcattle.com. If you'd like to spotlight your operation in an ad on the Black Hereford Chronicles, give me a holler. I can be reached via the Facebook page or by emailing me at hislhcattle at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Hereford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Thank you.